Hello, you're listening to Which Moving Pictures Move Us, and I'm your host, Emma Bolzner. This month is our Christmas theme, so although Christmas looks different for us this year, it doesn't mean movies can't still put us in the holiday spirit, especially classics. For today, I will be talking about the film Miracle on 34th Street from 1947, starring Natalie Wood, Edmund Gwen, Maureen O'Hara, and John Payne, and with me virtually is my good friend Martin. Hello, I'm Martin. Thank you for coming back again. No worries. I, I, I love being here. This is a great show, podcast to be on. I love discovering new movies and watching new movies with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the whole point. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't seen this film, the original Miracle on 34th Street follows a man played Edmund Gwen who claims to be the real Kris Kringle. After being hired to be the Macy Santa Claus by a single mom named Doris, played by Maureen O'Hara, he decides to take it upon himself to bring the spirit of Christmas into Doris's life and into her daughter Susan's life, played by Natalie Wood. Doris has brought up her seven-year-old daughter to be sensible and to be a non-believer in everything, even when it comes to Santa Claus. When Chris is concluded as being insane for claiming to be the man in the red suit, it all comes down to this. Do you believe in Santa Claus? So, Martin, what do we think of Miracle on 34th Street? So, this is the uh, very classic uh, movie. Um, I actually first watched the, the 1994 version, but it's really nice to see this version, the, the very classic one. Uh, honestly, I loved it. It was it, It's definitely... Uh, a Christmas movie, like a classic one you you see playing on television and you sit down and watch. Um, but more so, I love the theme that it uh, revolves around. Um, uh, of course, the uh, Christmas themes always go around uh, commercialism, but also the belief of Santa Claus being uh, uh, taken up in court. That's a very uh, um, interesting theme. And I, I love seeing how they dealt with it in... Uh, uh, this version of the movie. Yeah, this this really is a classic movie, and I think this is the oldest movie we've ever done on the show before. So it's nice to do this one as the, the first one, because it's one of my... It's definitely not just one of my favorite Christmas movies. It is my favorite Christmas movie. I talked about the holiday in uh, the last podcast, and that's probably my favorite, like, wintry holiday movie, but Miracle on 34th Street, this version is probably my favorite Christmas movie of all time. I watch it every year with my family. Um, I have seen the new version. I just, uh, maybe if I had seen that version first, I would have liked it just as much. But I think I saw the 1994 version when I was about like nine or 10. And I just, it never really was this, had the same effect on me as as this one had. I, I just, Natalie Wood's stage presence is just, I loved her so much more than uh, Mara Wilson in the new version. And Edmund Gwen <laughs> as Santa. Oh I, oh, I totally, like, the, the, both the Santa and the, the child was so, were so amazing. Um, I really felt they captured the, um, you know, they, they were really genuine. Um, yeah. I was, you know, I don't ve- watch very, very many old movies, but... Um, you know, it just se- still seemed like they were genuine actors and he was a genuine Santa. Uh, and I, lo- I loved seeing uh, their portrayals of it. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a classic and, and a warm, sentimental film. And usually a lot of old movies, you know, they don't hold up now or, or they drag and they're really, really long. But I thought the pacing of this film was really well executed. I thought the scenes weren't like dragging on. The dialogue was really sharp and witty. And it's just the right length. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, you know, th- and there's some moments that really surprised me in the movie. <laughs> um We'll get to them later, possibly. But um, you know what? I, I, was, yeah, I was kind of doubting going into it how well it's going to be. Uh, but after I did go back after and look at some clips of the newer version. And for some reason, this, this does feel more like the definite version to me. Uh, I'm not sure why. Maybe it was because um, I've seen a Mar- Mara Wilson in uh, different um, uh, movies, you know? Um, or... Maybe, I don't know, this yeah. the Santa Claus in the newer version, to me, doesn't even, like, look as Santa Claus-y as the old version for some reason. But um, uh, I, I, re- I, I, yeah. I really like this, this uh, version's portrayal. I always see Mara Wilson, like, when I, when I think of her, I always think of Matilda. So I, when, when I think of Miracle on 34th yes. Street, I always think of Natalie Wood. Yeah, completely. I, I, I just think of Matilda. I'm like, oh, hold on, that's the wrong child. <laughs> she should be in the other movie as well. <laughs> so the first thing I actually thought about when I watched it this year, and I hadn't really thought of it before, was this movie was made like in 1946, and they legitimately talk about, you know, divorce and a single mom who's Doris, who's basically raising her daughter on her own, and she has a career. And I was like, whoa, like, for the 40s, that was a huge, like, feminist progress right there. Yeah, you know what? I was paying attention to that a lot. Like, I was was trying to see how are they handling uh, relationships, uh, family lifestyle, um, you know, men and women. Like, I, I was really trying to pay attention to see if it was portrayed in a different light that... I'm like, was there anything that wasn't acceptable in the movie, you know? And I thought it was, you know, it was quite still progressive. She's a single mother. She's earning for herself. Um, and I feel like she's still, you know, there's no, um, there's not really any, like, uh, large patriarchy kind of um, uh, figures there that, you know, that are uh, taking over or, like, um, not, 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 any, any, I didn't really see any sexism or anything like that, any sexist views or things, things like that in the movie. Yeah, I totally agree because, you know, she doesn't just have a job. She's like a career woman. And the guy that she works with, uh, I forget his name, but they're basically treated as equals. And she kind of is like a, um, yes. above him and, and like kind of tells him what to do, even though they have uh, like they kind of work together. And I thought that was really interesting and how they don't even sugarcoat, like, you know, pretending like the dad died or anything. I mean, uh, Susan's one of her first lines, uh, Susan says like, oh yeah, my mom and I divorced when I was a baby. I don't know who my dad is. And like, they didn't even like hold back. They went right for it, which I, I hadn't remembered that, uh, until I watched it last night again. And I think in the new version, they say they're more like yep. backwards and they say that her husband died or, or like they don't even say divorce. And I thought that the, it was interesting that in the, in the old version was more progressive. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, they outright just said, yeah, they, they got divorced. Um, and the, yeah, the, the uh, mother is just, she's, she's up there in the company. I remember, like, you know, they both got bonuses. They didn't. I mean, they didn't explicitly say how much they got uh, in bonuses, but 
the mother was appreciated for her work in bringing the uh, Santa to Macy's uh, uh, mall, right? Uh, and I thought that was that was excellent. I really didn't. Yeah. It, it seemed to have, um, you know, it seemed to have aged well. You know, the movie. It, it even even in comparison to new yeah. movies, like you say. I think it totally holds up with the comedy. There's some things that I don't really. I thought, ooh, that would be a bit weird. Like when Chris Kringle is hanging out at their house, and he's just like, "Do you see that scene where he's just hiding behind the door of?" Natalie Wood, Susan's bedroom, and he's just hanging out in her bedroom, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I'm a mother, if I would want, like, some strange man to be, like, inside my (laughs) daughter's bedroom, (laughs) and it was, like, twice, too, of the movie, I mean, it's fine, he's Santa, it's all good, but, you know, and she's even hanging out at um, Fred's Fred's house, you know, without her mother's knowledge, and the mother's never met Fred, and she's like, oh, yeah, the, the maid is just like, oh, yeah, I just... I let her hang out with Fred. I mean, this is a stranger. <laughs> he takes her to the zoo. <laughs> yeah, I know. That that's definitely true. Like in nowadays, that you wouldn't let your uh, child go willy nilly with anyone or go outside alone. Um, so yeah, that's that's more of that's also more representative of how um, uh, less less overprotective I would say uh, families were maybe back then. Uh, but yeah, having a stranger like that, yeah, he is Santa Claus, but having him in the bedroom, I'm like, you know, you know what, I, I immediately thought, for some reason, like, um, uh, you know the younger Santa, um, uh, like the the younger boy who, uh, the 17-year-old yeah. who likes to play as Santa as well? Yeah, Alfred. Right? Uh, the first time when he was, like, explaining to Chris Kringle, why, yeah, Alfred, Alfred, that's it, uh, why he liked uh, to be Santa... I'm like, you know, I merely thought like, you know, uh, he likes to hang around children. And I'm like, he's like, man, like immediately I'm like, oh, would, would, would someone even write that into today's movies? Would that be a problem? I'm not sure because, you know, a lot of people find that kind of offensive. I'm not, you know, um, for even men to be around yeah. children and like to be around children, you know. And he, he also, also he's a quite a younger Santa, which I found very interesting. But that guy did not look seventeen. Okay, he looked like he was thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, what That's was true. the what was the deal true. with bubble gum? Like she's constantly Susan's constantly eating bubble gum, and she eats oh, it yeah. like before she goes to sleep. It's like, well, what was the point of brushing your teeth? That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what kind of routines they had back then, but um, I'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> chewing bubble gum wasn't part of your dental care. <laughs> um, I don't know. May, maybe bubble gum was something new. When did bubble gum come out? Maybe that's something I need to say. Bubble gum invented. Maybe it was just very popular around that time. Yeah, no, maybe it was like something something big after the war or something that, you know, it was like some really nice treat, even though she's constantly yeah. eating it. But her mother seems to be making money, so it seems fine. They can live in New York. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, yes. I wanted to go yeah. back to talking about um, Doris. And, you know, she's like a total cynic, and she's putting her own thoughts and impressions on the world onto her, her daughter mm-hmm. by, like, saying, you know... There's no Prince Charming. There's no such thing as fairy tales. She doesn't let her daughter read fairy tales. She doesn't want her daughter to believe in magic or believe in anything. And um, her, her daughter, you know, is pretty stubborn and, and pretty, you know, p- 
pretty adult-like. It's interesting when um, at the beginning of the film, Susan's basically like a mini adult, but she also has this naivety to her. But then when, you know, that classic scene that everybody knows, even if you haven't watched this movie, you know the scene that I'm talking about when she uh, pulls Edmund Gwen, uh, Chris Kringle's beard. Everyone knows that scene and that look of awe on her face. She looks like yes. a child again. And it's almost like from the beginning until that part, she's almost like a mini adult like her mother. And I thought that that was a really good way that they showed how she was getting that like child naivety back into her. Because, you know, you have so long to grow up. You don't want to be like a mini mother when you're seven years old. Yeah, exactly. Like, all of her, her mom's worldviews were kind of put onto her. And, like, her mo- mother doesn't agree with her believing in things that are silly, believing in fairy tales. Um, and obviously, a lot of parents have, have that type of um, uh, thought process. They think that they should just not lie to their children, um, while others believe they should, you know, have them indulge in what kids should believe. Like, imagination, have them uh, play pretend, have them believe in Santa Claus, you know, live them, their childhood how maybe they have before. Um, and I guess it's a very different, um, two different types of approaches of parenting. Um, and I guess both have their benefits and uh, disadvantages. But personally, I, I will always be like, especially since that's how I grew up, I will always think that uh, you should uh, teach, like, you should tell your children, you know, there's there's a Santa Claus and whatever, because when they're older, they'll they'll anyways realize that, you know, and they know you, and typically yeah. they know you're not uh, saying it out of a place of malicious intent, you know, to lie to them. It's it's to, um, you know, it's to it's involve their imagination and involve, um, you know, their creative thinking and everything, and uh, keep them very excited for when you wake up on Christmas morning, right? That there's, there is magic in the world, you know? And yeah. when you get older, that's, you know, you, you, people be, can become very nihilist or um, pessimistic and, you know, Negative. you can't just imagine that t- stuff anymore, even if you'd like to. Yeah, and, and you have your whole life to be like a negative skeptic. You know, enjoy your time as a seven-year-old child. Or I just was going to say, I really liked Susan's dialogue in it because... It was mature, but uh, but it also had, you know, some, like, childlike silly, silly things that she said. But I like that Doris and Fred treat her and um, Chris treat her like equals. They don't, they're not condescending towards her. You know, they talk to her like she is a person. And it really bugs me in, in movies. One great example of this is Home Alone and how, you know, the mother talks to him like, you know, he's just this annoying child. And it is nice to see that she's treated like an equal in her family relationship with her mother. Yeah, most definitely. Like, she's not, she's not a little kid. Um, and, you know, I think, I think, uh, I mean, maybe in Home Alone, she had like, what, was that a household of nine people, nine children? Maybe that's why it turned out that way. But, um, yeah. yeah, like, she, they, they do treat, she, she does treat uh, even her own daughter like, a, uh, an adult, right? Um, and she believes her to make the right decisions and everything. Um, but yeah, both, both, you know, both the mother and the daughter were, skept- were skeptics, and the, I guess the, because the mother is a skeptic, her daughter is a skeptic, but 
that that was Chris Kringle's kind of role in the movie to prove them both to be believers, mm-hmm. right, in their lives. I wanted to go back to the beginning. I thought it was really funny when the original Macy Santa got drunk and they had to replace him. And Maureen O'Hara's character, Doris, just instantly finds the first white-bearded man and is like, good, you look like Santa, you be Santa. I just thought, like, that's so funny. <laughs> she just finds the first random dude yeah. on the street. Yeah, exactly. Like, even people... <laughs> right? Um, and the even people who... Uh, um, uh, look like Santa to kids, though, mm-hmm. even if they're not dressed as Santa, they still can believe that they're Santa. I know I did that as a kid. I would point out, you know, someone has a, a, a old man has a white beard. Is that Santa Claus? You know, that, that's something I always do. I'll even do that, like, even if there's a, someone I think is a celebrity or whatever. Is that the celebrity from the TV show just because they have similar hair? You know, kids, kids are really imaginative, and they don't maybe, they think... I think they think that the world's a lot smaller, too, than, than it really is, right? Yeah. And Edmund yeah. Gwen is, like, a perfect Santa. I mean, he has the twinkle in his eye and everything. And I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is when he's being Santa at, at the Macy's Mall, and this girl comes to sit on his lap, and she doesn't speak English. She speaks Dutch, and they speak Dutch together, and he sings to her. And, it, and Susan is watching in awe, and that's when she really starts to believe. And it's such a nice scene. Like, it has so much heart in it. Yeah, I love that. That, that scene... Um, well, actually, so that, that's the one scene I remember from the um, rebooted movie um, as being with the, the deaf uh, girl, I remember. Uh, so I was wondering how they they uh, what oh, yeah. what scene in comparison they would have in this um, in the original movie. Um, it's interesting. They kind of just stepped it up in the next in the next movie. You know, knowing sign language over just the, the, just a different language. Maybe that's more uh, emotionally moving to some people. But I, I just I felt it still was beautifully displayed in that movie. And you know what? On the topic of the Santa. Uh, in the beginning scene. I also find it very interesting how um, uh, the San- Santa's, um, or at least in the newer newer movies, Santa's typically a lot larger. You know, in the, even in this older movie, they were like, uh, this Ed- Edmund had some padding. Well, in honesty, you know, if yes. you saw this person nowadays, you'd be like, no, he's like a normal weight, you know? But back then... He had some padding already. He didn't even need the extra padding of the suit, you know? Um, and same as Alfred, right? And I'm like, <laughs> what? Yeah. You know? And then I guess Santa just got larger, maybe because the population over time got larger. You know, you need a, a larger Santa in comparison because he's not really unusual anymore at that weight. Yeah. But also, like, it was during the war, you know? It was two years after the war ended. He probably had to ration his food, couldn't eat you know, drink as much hot chocolate. <laughs> um, I hated... Oh, wait. I want to talk about Fred first, actually. So I really liked Fred. I loved... Um, Fred is the lawyer that um, helps Nick and uh, is in love with Doris. And I really like him because he is consistently always believing in Chris. Like, he doesn't second-guess him. He doesn't question him. Just from the get-go, he's just like, if you say you're Chris Kringle, I'm believing you're Chris Kringle. And he fights for him until, like, the end of the movie. And I just thought he was such a pure human being. So nice. So good. Yeah. 
he was he was a really nice um, uh, uh, character on the show. Like he he wanted the he wanted um, the kid to believe in Santa Claus, right? And well, wanted to go against uh, uh, Doris's ways, you know, of uh, a non-belief. He wanted Susan to really truly explore her imagination and it, it, it was really nice to see him like edge santa claus chris King kringle on to um behind even though it's behind doris's back and you shouldn't do that to a parent right um to uh, yeah show show the child what you know imagination can be and you know what you're like right like the child still has so much he's still naive right and she still has that thought in her even no matter how much her mother tells her and what I find very interesting is, uh, typically I find that uh, a lot of the time um, when uh, a parent teaches their child their own belief, or at least forces it onto them, um, when they grow older, they somehow, or a lot of the time, like to rebel from that belief, right? Um, especially if it's something that was really forced onto them and didn't come onto them naturally. I feel like the ch- mm. uh, children like to rebel, and sometimes if a, a parent does it in the wrong way, uh, puts uh, their belief on a, a child, they might come out thinking the exact opposite when they grow up. Yeah, they'll totally rebel. And, um, you know, we don't really know Doris's full backstory. We don't know what happened with Susan's dad. But who knows, like, in Doris's upbringing, you know, her mother might have always been, like, reading her fairy tales and telling her Prince Charming will come and telling her, like, what it's like to be a good wife and a good housewife. And she might have just, like, wanted to not have that and get a career. Like, we don't really know what caused their divorce. Um, so that that's an interesting way to think of it, too, right? She could have been rebelling, yeah. Yeah, actually, I think I remember that one scene um, when Chris Kringle was... Yeah, when Chris Kringle was talking to Doris, um, I, I remember that one line... I think Chris Kringle was talking to her when, from this one line where um, she felt like her, like she went on talking mm-hmm. about the fairy tales and she went on a t- mini rant and was talking about how the Prince Charming would come and then, but he would just leave. And I think that's when, uh, that's when yes. the, she's talking about the divorce probably. And that's probably what incited it. She, she thought her marriage might have been the Prince Charming, but then it ended in divorce. Um, and that might have been what kind of ruined fairy tales for her. I like that it's subtle. Like, I, I like that it isn't shoved in her face. Now I feel like if they made this movie or something similar to it, which I hope they don't, they, you know, show some flashbacks of, you know, the mother when she was younger with, with her husband. And yeah. it's just like, it would have been so unnecessary if they ever showed us the father because he's irrelevant because he's irrelevant to Susan. So it has nothing to do. But I feel like now they'd have to like, explain it for everybody whereas I like the little subtle innuendos of yeah my parents are divorced and then nothing for like another 25 minutes and then another little you know little subtle thing yeah I think it's you know that's exactly what I was thinking you'd have it now you'd have an entire like 30 minute flashback about their life and everything but you know the kid doesn't see that too you know so it, it they're really just displaying reality more of how it is um and another difference I, I I saw is just like how quickly they went into the movie. There was no like intro. It just started like the title card just started, and when the movie ended, the movie just ended. You know, like there was no like long sequence yeah. or anything. I just it was just like 
and the title card. And I was like, wow, that was quick, you know? It was very interesting to see how movies were produced differently back then and comparing them with a reboot. Yeah, the pacing was so good. And, you know, if it still can hold up for, like, our generation's attention spans, then it's a really good movie because, you know, the other classic Christmas movie, which I like too, not as much as Miracle on 34th Street, is It's a Wonderful Life. And, you know, that's an excellent film, but the first 45 minutes of the movie is basically why George Bailey is a good human being from child to present day. And, you know, a movie like that wouldn't be created now where they, like, delve into, you know, a person's entire life in the first hour of the film. And I like that this one did not do that because it was irrelevant. And I like that it didn't show, you know, spoilers, you know, Doris and, and Fred getting married and things like that. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, and honestly, I didn't know if it was going to hold my attention span uh, starting into it. I'm like, maybe this movie's going to be a little boring. But I just watched the entire thing through and through, you know. There was no, um, I didn't, like, divert my attention. It was it was interesting, uh, and I, I didn't feel it was at any uh, point monotonous or anything like that. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And I, I think I remember watching It's a Wonderful Life, but that was a long time ago um, in school. But yeah, I think that that was another great movie, great Christmas movie um, uh, I watched once. But yeah, I haven't watched very many older movies, and it's nice to uh, go back and watch something like this. And no, it's it's not it's not boring. It is interesting, and uh, I really recommend for people to watch classics like this sometimes. Yeah, because there's also not many old Christmas movies. There's this one. There's you know, like we mentioned, It's a Wonderful Life, but they're like from the '40s to like. I don't even know, 1980s maybe? There isn't really much. Yeah. Other than this, I immediately think of just like the older um, cartoon ones. Like, um, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah. That, I believe that one's from the 1960s. Yeah, the stop motion animation. Yes, that, that's another classic for me. But, you know, that, it's also not a real life movie. That's a, a different genre, I would say. But um, th- that's another classic that I absolutely love. Um but yeah, there isn't that. There wasn't that many, and it's really nice to see. It's kind of like a cultural, you know, for for people. It's a it's a jump back, and you know, we think about oh, the nineteen forties was some really old time ago. It was more. It felt it feels like more than a hundred years ago, and it's not really. You know, it has the exact same things. It has stores. It has uh, businesses fighting. You know, that stuff was present in the nineteen forties. You know. Um, I'm not sure if they would create a movie like that still, or at least um, I know, so I saw that in the recent movie, Macy's declined to be in the movie, so they just had imaginary storefronts. Um, but yeah, back then they actually used real businesses, mm. right? So that, that's interesting. I don't know what if you tried that again today, uh, what they would do. Uh, but it's it's very it's it's interesting. So I was like shocked that they were able to get the rights to use Macy's name, and they don't just say Macy's name like once. They use the store. They use it on newspapers. Everybody says Macy's at least like seven times per character, and they also use the name Gimbals for the rival department store company. So I am shocked that they were able to get the rights. Apparently, the producers worked with Macy's and Gimbel's um, in the movie, and apparently, like, when they finally agreed on it and the movie was first shown to 
uh, Macy's customers, uh, Macy's employees, the employees got the day off to go watch Miracle on 34th Street, which I thought was really cute. But I understand why they wouldn't want to do it again, because first of all, there was no need for a remake. That's just my opinion. And also, like, why would they want to... Uh, like, the difference between 1994 and 1947 is huge. And first of all, since, like, the 90s, department stores have really gone downhill. Like, when you think about department stores, at least here in Canada, they're not a major thing anymore. Like, Hudson's Bay used to be so big. So, you know, they might still be big in New York. I've never been to New York, so I shouldn't, like, say that. But I think it definitely changed in the 90s with department stores, and they probably didn't like want to do it yeah and honestly like right now macy's that's it's mostly a clothing company from what i know there's not really any toys i'm mm-hmm. not aware of them selling really any toys um so i'm not sure if, yeah they're not very a very large portion especially today in 2020 um of society uh, in terms of you know christmas and everything and you know what you know they probably assess the risks you know, probably maybe the people won't like the reboot. They shouldn't be involved in it, and therefore they didn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's it's very interesting. Yeah, and Bay Bay was so much bigger. Everything's everything's shifting, and um, I'm not oh my sure gosh, if it's yeah. in a good direction. But uh, yeah, everything's shifting. I was talking about this on the podcast of Elf, and. Um, we were saying, my, my friend Christine and I, we were saying how, you know, Zellers used to be a big part of our childhood. And then when Zellers and like Sears Mm -hmm. and like these big, um, my mom remembers, um, this other like, um, Walgreens, not Walgreens. I don't remember what it's called. Anyway, they, they were a big thing because it was like these big general department stores, like general stores. It wasn't just clothing. It was furniture. It was toys. It was like, you could buy sometimes fruit and, like, vegetables there. Like, it was a huge, big deal. And it probably was really big after the war. And then when malls arrived in the 1980s and these, like, little store outlets everywhere. And then, of course, with the internet online shopping, they just started going downhill and, like, like being bankrupt and stuff. But I do think that it's still a big heart of um, New York City. Yeah, in New York, I think New York might be a little different. They have a lot of, like, big stores there. But, um, yeah, you're completely right. I remember Zellers, and I remember, like, I'm just... It's crazy to see that it's completely gone at this point, really. Um, And then even more, I'm more surprised that Toys R Us in the U.S. is now gone. Um that means, you know, kids can't really even go anywhere to look at all of their toys. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, maybe only smaller toy shops. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still surviving in Canada, but who knows for how long. Um, uh, you know, if it doesn't survive in America, I'm not sure how much longer it can go in Canada. Why do you think so many um, Christmas movies take place in New York? You know what? I think it's just the fact that so many movies take place in New York. I, I mean, maybe because it's the center of all um, kind of commercialism. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just a big Christmassy city. I've never been there, so I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. No, and, and someone said, I don't know if it was on the last podcast or the other one, because I asked them this too, because the movie we were doing, or we were doing Dash and Lily, that's right. And the new Netflix show, Dash and Lily, and... and 
the guest I had basically said, well, you know, they chose between L, like Hollywood, or the production company chooses between, you know, LA, Hollywood, and New York, and like, you can't really do a Christmas movie in LA, because it's always warm, so then you choose the other big place, which is New York, so I think that's pretty much determines it all, because it has this essence of Christmas with the Rockefeller tree, but also because it's a colder yeah, climate. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, it, it is it sometimes, I'm not sure how often, but I think it sometimes snows in New York, so that makes a lot of, a lot more sense, you, you, LA is really warm all the time, um, I agree with that. I don't think of LA whenever I think of Christmas, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think New York's climate is, like, colder than it is here in BC. Not in, like, other parts of Canada, but I think they do get a lot of snow in Boston and in those areas. But, moving on, I just wanted to say how mature Susan is for, like, what she wants for Christmas isn't a dollhouse, but her own own home like her own house i mean how mature is this little child oh my goodness yeah <laughs> that, that's i guess i mean i know I, I as a kid also always wanted a home but to wish for it that much that's kind of um you know that's a huge huge wish and it's it's very interesting uh yeah, that that's exactly the only thing she wants for Christmas. She doesn't want any toys or anything. Um, I guess maybe it was what her mother put into her, you know, made her more mature in a way. Yeah, that's crazy, though. I, I wonder how Chris even ended up getting the money for that, but he's magical, so I guess he, he just found a way. Why do you think Chris even, like, bothers? It looks like the Chris Kringle is actually Santa Claus. For, for people listening that might have children in the room. So, um, so Chris, you know, why does he even bother coming to New York? That's one thing I would have liked to have known. Uh, a little bit of backstory there. Why isn't he to stay in the North Pole? Like, why do you want to hang out with these boring, non-believer humans who are just suck? Yeah, that was interesting. I don't know why he, right? We don't really know why he's there. And why is he staying there? And why is he staying there the day before Christmas Eve? And another interesting thing yeah. was, um, so in this, in this portion of Christmas, is he delivering presents to children or not? Because, you know, he's, he's directing parents to purchase presents. Um, so I guess he's not delivering them like we know Santa yeah. Claus is supposed to be doing. Um, you know, it's just parents buying presents. So then what is Santa Claus really doing in this, in this uh, time? I'm not quite sure. Um, that that that's what I found kind of interesting. The only thing is when the trial his trial ends on Christmas Eve, and Marino Harris character um, Doris is like, "Oh, come over for dinner with us, and we can celebrate." And he's like, "Are you kidding me? This is my busiest time of year. I have to leave." So I was like, "Oh, he's going to actually still deliver presents." <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that quite then. Um, yeah, I mean, like, he still has reindeer. He's always talking about his reindeer as well. Yeah. I didn't hear anything about elves. No. <laughs> in particular. I don't know about... No elves that, I, that I'm that i aware of. Um, but yeah, and you know what? Another thing I, I wanted to bring up was um, the scene with the... Um, I don't know if... I don't think he was a psychiatrist. The guy who worked for uh, Macy's. Um, if I remember his name. Oh, Mr. Uh, Sawyer? 
Sawyer, the yeah, psychiatrist? Sawyer. Oh, I Sawyer hated him. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that for a bit. But what was interesting was, um, you know, they were talking about, oh, maybe he's going to go wild. Maybe he's going to hit someone with his cane. Some foreshadowing there. And he hits Mr. <laughs> Sawyer with his cane. And, and Mr. I'm Sawyer, like, okay, like totally milks dumb. it. But then, then he's like, oh, the... I know, right? But I thought it was like a, a little, little hit. But like, there's a bump yeah. on his head, a giant bump. I'm like, <laughs> wait, did Mr. Or did Santa Claus just assault somebody? <laughs> you know, yeah. like I mean, in reality, he actually did assault him because he left a giant mark on his head. It wasn't just a tap on his head. He actually yeah. hit him on his head and left a large um, uh, swelling uh, bonk. You know, so. Um, I'm not sure if the real Santa Claus should have done something or would have done something like that. So, See, not even Santa um, can always yeah, be a I saint. Yeah, that was a fascinating conflict. True, not, not, always, not even Santa can be a saint. But um, <laughs> I was like, oh, that, he's like, oh, men like you have to be dealt in a different way. There's only one way they can be dealt. And then he hits him across the head. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was like, oh, he's going to take it up with Mr. Macy, which he was planning to do. But, you know, they yeah. took him away in the end. Mr. Sir was such an awful person, though, when he was messing with Alfred's head and saying that he has, like, this guilt yeah, complex he, he, and just horrible. Um, and also, what was with the quirk that he had yeah. where he's, like, constantly picking at his eyebrow? That's the most annoying thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Chris Kringle pointed it out. Probably something to do with his wife. Yeah. I don't know if you felt like this too, um, but I found, and this was just me watching it, so maybe it's just all on me, but I found some of the men to look very similar, not not Fred or Chris, but Mr. Sawyer, and then the guy that Doris works with, and then Mr. Sawyer's lawyer, they look exactly the same because they all have these mustaches and they're like dressed the same way. They're all about the same height. And sometimes during scenes, I would get confused and I'd be like, wait, is that Mr. Sawyer? And then I'd notice him picking at his eyebrow and I was like, okay, that's Mr. Sawyer. But Mr. Sawyer's lawyer uh, and, and the guy Doris works with, who I forget his name, they looked so similar. Was that just me? No, that was definitely like sometimes like, you know, with the scenes with their, their children, I'm like, is that the mayor? Is that the yes. lawyer? Who is that? Like, I and I still, I still wasn't entirely sure even after the scene. Like, who, who is what? Like, they're taking on a case. Is that the judge? Is like what? I was so confused at some points. I was just yeah. like, I think I had it kind of sorted out that it was yeah, it was Sawyer's lawyer. But you know, I was I was so unsure. I, I completely agree with you. Some of them, it looks very similar. Um, they chose very similar actors. The guy that Doris works with, he isn't given that much time, but he basically has a drunk wife who I thought the drunk wife was really funny. She's like, hello, hello. <laughs> like, I, I really oh, yes. liked her. She was funny because um, in the scene for people that have forgotten or don't quite know, um, they're looking for Macy department store wants Chris to stay with somebody and they're looking for somebody to stay with. And Chris ends up staying with Fred but before he stays with Fred, the guy that Doris works with offers the home to Chris saying like, oh, I just have to get my wife, you know, plastered. And then she'll say yes. So like she just has to be drunk, which is just so horrible. But it was really funny. Yeah. And then the, guy, the lawyer, 
um, Mr. Sawyer's lawyer, the one that's against Chris in the whole court scene, he his like family life was really funny too. If I can remember correctly, he's the one um, where her, the wife is like, oh, I wish I had married, you know, a plumber or somebody else because she's really upset that he's putting Santa Claus on trial and the, their son is really upset too. And I love the scene when his son is going up for questioning and he's like, hi, daddy. And this is like putting his his father in a very difficult position and everybody's in a very like walking on eggshells here because nobody wants to say Santa Claus doesn't exist because you know that'll be bad for business people will lose their jobs it's very like domino effect and when his son is up for questioning you know Fred basically says to him oh your daddy would never lie to you right if your daddy says you believe um if your daddy says Santa Claus is real then he's real right and and then the little boy's like, what? My dad would never lie to me. And I thought that was a really good scene because it was putting his dad in the corner. And I really liked that. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was, um, it was quite hilarious. You know, he's, he's at the same time, like, uh, trying to juggle doing his job and, and uh, trying to prove that Santa Claus doesn't exist while his son is right there. And um, it's like, it, yeah. is the father really going to tell his son that Santa Claus doesn't exist after lying for lying to him and telling him he does for so long, you know? And I, I found that very, very, a very smart move. But I was, I was surprised, like, the son was even at the court uh, house. I'm like, wait, hold on. You, yeah. like, in the family, it was like, don't, don't discuss about that in front of our son. And I'm like, and then you bring him to the courthouse? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, the mother was there with, with the son in the That's courthouse. That's true. Uh, I found that I guess he has no one to stay with. Yeah. Um, like if the mom and, goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I thought that was that was, but I think they called him over to the courthouse. So I, I'm I'm so I bet I bet that yeah. something like that would be overruled in reality. Like, oh, you can't. That's manipulation or something, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, and you and you know what? Like, I just found that very fascinating. Like, how are you going to? How what is the judge gonna say? on the point of, does Santa Claus exist? You know? Like, if that ruled in court, like, you saw, like, there's going to be so many consequences to that. Like, a, a judge ruling in court, there's a case that rules that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Any child could, you know, especially with the internet now, but any child would read that in a newspaper um, and be like, what? Santa Claus doesn't exist, you know? And that, like, the courts ruled that Santa Claus doesn't exist. So all of this like celebration is just like what? Why? Why are we? Why are we? You know, all the commercialism it also falls on, upon that whether Santa Claus exists or not, whether Christmas is because you know Christmas revolves all around Santa Claus. So if he doesn't exist, then you know. But then you know if they rule that he does exist, does he exist? You know. But the truth is, you yeah. know, they can't. I don't think that was the proper way you know, proper question to ask in court in the first mm -hmm. place. But I thought the court, the court scene in general, I always thought it was about like half of the movie and it's only about a, a third. And it's really well done again. Like it's not boring. Like a lot of court scenes can be. And Fred is a really good lawyer and he keeps everybody on their toes. And, you know, the fact that he can make people believe in Santa and mainly adults is, is so good. But I loved the consequences all the men were facing, the men in high positions, like um, Mr. Macy, for example. You know, I loved when they kind of, he had this, like, he was on 
uh, being questioned. And he was thinking, oh my gosh, what are the consequences to, if I say this man isn't Kris Kringle or isn't Santa Claus, what are the consequences to that? And he literally sees this, like, in his head, a newspaper headline that states, Macy says Santa Claus is a fraud or something like that. And then he thinks, oh my gosh, the domino effect of that. People will stop buying presents. They will stop supporting Macy's. Then people that that work for him will lose their jobs. And I thought that was excellent. And even the judge thinks of these consequences as well. Because I think, am I correct, that he wants to become mayor one day? Um, Not quite sure. Is that right? I'm, I'm not sure. It sounded like he was already in an elected position at that point. Um, and they would be yeah. rolling him out or something if, if he uh, rules something like that. Um, that Santa Claus doesn't exist. So I, I love this scene with his grandchildren, though, when when he's he's at his, his grandchildren's house, the judge, and, you know, the grandchildren are saying goodnight to the grandma, and then they come over to him and they just walk the other direction and ignore him because, you know, he's putting Santa Claus on trial. It, it was just really funny. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That was great. You know, it, it's all your personal beliefs. They're all affecting his decision there. Um, and you know what? Um, I also take, like, the, I feel like they, um, um, the way that they proved that uh, the court case for Chris Kringle, I looked at the uh, miracle on 34th Street. I don't know if you, you want to talk about that, but it's a very... Interesting how they, they, they decided to prove the difference between the two. I think both are quite effective. Um, but it, it seems that they they definitely went with more of a political standpoint for the um, uh, newer reboot movie, where they instead prove that, oh, because, in, uh, because on our U.S. money, In God We Trust is listed on there, and if, if, if the entire government can put In God We Trust uh, on a bill... Then you know why? Why can't oh. uh, uh, all of America also put in Santa Claus we trust? Right? Why can't we put our faith into Santa Claus if we're here to prove that Santa Claus? Why do we have to give evi- like uh, 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 hard evidence of Santa Claus if we don't have to give hard evidence of God? You know, kind of thing. So I thought that was an interesting uh, a oh. change that they made in a new movie. I remember that. Yeah, and then in this movie, I remember that now. They decided uh, uh, just to deliver the all the post mail, and because the post mail is a an official service, um, uh, official government service, that since they're delivering it directly to Chris Kringle in the courthouse, then that must mean he is the official Santa Claus, right? Mm, I like that. It, it was so it was so magical. I always say that it's a good Christmas movie when at the end of it you believe in the Christmas spirit and you believe in Santa Claus and you have like a smile on your face then it succeeded which I feel like the other movies that do that for me are probably Elf and like a Christmas Carol I definitely agree with that you know it definitely made me feel or believe more in the spirit of Christmas um, I think that that was an important ending um, that it brought upon I definitely agree with that um, I have some fun facts if 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 you want to still continue talking about um, other things, but I I do have some fun facts about the movie if you want to go st- straight into that. Sure. Okay, so um, the movie was filmed in 1946, and they actually used the real um, Thanksgiving Macy's parade of the 1946 Thanksgiving parade, and. 
Edmund Gwen was actually the Santa in the parade. So talk about method acting. So the whole like Thanksgiving parade scene was actually the real thing. It wasn't footage and it wasn't extras. They were actually filming the real Thanksgiving parade. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. They they would not probably do something like that nowadays. That's really amazing. I can't believe that. And I'm wondering, I know. Did, was that his actual beard? Like, that wasn't a fake beard, right? The actor's fake beard? I think, he, I think he grew it. Yeah. That's quite surprising to grow a beard like that right? for a movie. Um, so that's pretty cool that they still we still kind of have footage from the 1946 Macy's Parade, because if it wasn't for this movie, there wouldn't be, like, any footage of it. Um, the other fact I have is that the movie was actually released in June of 1947. That's interesting. That's interesting <laughs> to put a Christmas movie so in June. So weird. Wow, that would, um, I don't know how movie theaters worked back then. Maybe movie theaters were more of an ongoing thing. They didn't just keep it in the theater for... One, one, one month, you know, and then push it out. But, yeah, if you did that nowadays, not many people would go to a Christmas movie in June. <laughs> in June. Well, maybe it was, like, maybe they thought, oh, okay, kids are, like, going, getting out of school. Maybe they thought it would be, like, some summer thing. I don't know. It's really weird because it's all about and revolves entirely around Christmas. It's not like one of those holiday films where you could pass it off as being, like, a all-year-round film because this is totally just about Christmas. Edmund Gwen, who plays Chris Kringle, he actually won an Oscar for his role. Best Supporting. Oh, as Chris Kringle? Yes. Wow. And it also won for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Story and was nominated for Best Picture, but it lost to the movie The Best Years of Our Lives. Oh, have you ever seen that movie before? I have seen uh, parts of it before. It's basically... Um, about about maybe four um, coupled characters that are transitioning to after the war and how husbands or boyfriends or fiancés came back from the war and, or sons and how they were very damaged, you know, maybe internally or externally with losses of arms or losses of legs and how they were very scarred. And it was like one of the first films that talked about post-traumatic um, stress. Wow. So it definitely deserved Best Picture over, like, a little holiday film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, oh, I have some more facts. Um, the movie was originally called The Big Heart. I don't know why. Like, I'm glad it changed. I don't know what made it change. Miracle on 34th Street sounds so much better since Macy's Department Store is on 34th Street. Um, and also... I just wanted to talk about Natalie Wood. She was uh, eight around the time of filming, and she actually thought Edmund Gwen was Santa Claus. And at the rap party at the end of the shoot, when he had shaved off his beard and she saw him, she was shocked because she actually thought he was Santa. So there there goes your, like, spoils your fantasies right there. Oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> he should have shaved off his beard. I would have been distraught. I would have been absolutely horrified. I know. Um, if only he could have kept it on for the rap party. Um, also, she was able to memorize yeah. her lines perfectly and could do them all in one take compared to all the adults. So, pretty impressive. Wow. Wow, definitely a very good actor and actress. <laughs> 
young actress. Yeah, and she's like one of the one of the few actors, child actors, that was able to succeed in transitioning from child star to famous actress and was able to like transition to adult roles where most child stars as we see with, you know, now they're mostly Disney stars, but you think of Macaulay Culkin or Lindsay Lohan and how they never transitioned easily with being in the limelight. Yeah, definitely. Even, even um, uh, like, I would think, like, oh, maybe that's more of a, a recent occurrence, but I don't think that's true, especially with um, um, from The Wizard of Oz, uh, Julie Garland, Judy Garland. She also no, if you troubles. think of Shirley, Shirley Temple. yeah. Yeah, and Shirley Temple especially, uh, I I I think Natalie Woods was the only one that really succeeded in that because she was nominated for many Oscars, never won, even though I think she should have. But anyway, um, also, and the last fact I have is that um, the cast was very close. Natalie Wood would call Maureen O'Hara Mama Maureen. Um, Maureen O'Hara was very close to Edmund Gwen. Uh, Natalie Wood said in one of her um, in one of her biographies about her life, she said that she had a huge crush on John Payne, who plays Fred, and um, they all kept in touch with Edmund Gwen until his death in 1957. So he he died ten years after this movie, which is sad. Oh, yeah. Dang. Yeah, he, he he. Yeah, I mean, this is a long time ago. It, it was so weird when I was looking them up. He was, like, born in, like, 18, like, 80 or something. And I was, like, the idea of somebody born in 1880 just baffles me. Okay, so did Miracle on 34th Street move you or not? I would say as a Christmas movie, it definitely moved me. It definitely set out to accomplish uh, putting me into the Christmas spirit this year. Especially since it's, you know, uh, we're all kind of separated now during COVID and... Um, I, you know, we can't really go out and see the lights and spend time with our friends as much. Um, I think this is a pretty great movie to watch to maybe help you get back into the spirit of it. Yeah, and it's nice to escape. And it's one of those Christmas movies where you can just escape and believe in magic and believe in Santa Claus. And it all comes down to the good dialogue and the actors and the fact that it can still hold up after... 73 years is pretty amazing when we think of a lot of movies that don't even hold up from 35 years ago, you know, especially those 80s movies with the music. But the music, I forgot to mention it, I really love the music in this movie. And I just love the whole nostalgia feel to it. I ended up watching it in black and white because it's my favorite way to watch this movie. There is a colorized version. It was one of the first movies um, to be colorized. But I prefer watching it in black and white. And oh, I just love it. I love Edmund Gwen as Santa Claus. I love the vibe. I love the storyline. It's just a really perfect Christmas movie, and everyone can enjoy it, young or old. I agree. I, w- I was really surprised coming into it how, how well it turned out. I, I really, really love the movie. Um, do you have, like, other favorite Santa-themed movies, like where Santa is at the center, or is this one probably, like high up for you i would think um uh one i did like watching was um i think the one with tim allen when he became santa claus i'm not sure if i ever saw him as a yes the santa claus i love that movie. yeah i'm not sure if i ever saw him as a definite santa claus uh but 
it, it was a very interesting movie as a kid. I definitely liked it. I, I love all the cartoon movies uh, with Santa Claus. But another one, another really recent one that came out, I watched last year, um, it was is The Claws. Or I believe it's just Claws. Um, showing it's a it's a cartoon movie basically about the origins of a Santa of Santa Claus the very first origins and it talks about a postman who uh, essentially moved to a, a northern um, uh, little northern town where, where there were was a, basically two fighting uh, opposing sides and essentially he brought peace in the town by uh, starting to deliver mail uh, to the uh, children um, and it, it it was honestly it's one of the it's a very beautiful anima- animated oh. movie. I would really recommend checking that one out as well. Um, and, you know... Is yes, it on, on Netflix? I believe it's a Netflix movie, actually. But, you know, they did a great great job with mm-hmm. the animation, uh, which I really like. Um, I was going to say, I love the Santa Claus. Um, it's it's one of my favorite Christmas movies that I always, I always watch every... Or not every year, but I try to watch it. But I do find that a movie like that, even though it's only about 25 years old... Um, I find it more dated than this one because of like a lot of the 90s outfits and, you know, the 90s technologies and and things like that. Like it's still an excellent film and the comedy is excellent. But I do think it's funny that some movies that are newer can feel more dated than ones that are like, you know, 70 or plus years old. And it was funny. There was this movie on the other night that was like made in 2000, the year I was born. And I was like, I couldn't watch it because I thought, oh my gosh, the music was super dated, the clothing, the hairstyles, <laughs> it just was really cringy. And I, I find that that interesting that um, that sometimes the newer ones can become dated quicker, more quickly. Yeah, I agree. You know what? I think that might be because um, back then in movies, they they really put more focus into like, uh, story and the humans and just dialogue, while in newer movies, they can focus a little bit more on special effects and action, right? You don't need a, um, there's bigger budgets and there's CGI and all that, so putting a little bit of that in the movie is almost like also a substitute instead of just keeping dialogue, because, you know, just dialogue might not capture everyone's attention nowadays, or, you know, you always want to see some you know cgi and special effects so maybe that's also why those older movies Mm -hmm. stand stand the time a lot better than the newer ones do um i want to thank you martin for coming back on the show oh thank you i i i really just helped me put put me into the christmas spirit for this week uh and i can't wait for christmas to come by this is one of my favorite christmas movies it is my all-time favorite christmas movie and it's just such a nice escape with everything that's going on right now. And seeing everybody like brought together by Christmas is so nice. So if you would like to check out Miracle on 34th Street, it's right now on Disney Plus in Canada. Not quite sure if that's the same in every uh, country, but it's right now on um, streaming serv- uh, Disney Plus. And you can always find it on iTunes or anywhere. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to press the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.